welcome to our gathering. And we call it our family gathering because we believe that we've been made a family because of Jesus. And we get to celebrate him and learn about him and, and grow to love him more and hopefully uh, to be sent out again uh, with his power to uh, see the world changed for his sake and his glory. Um, so that's why we're gathered here together. And we're, we're closing out a, a six-week series that we've been doing on kind of our foundations as a church and, and um, deeply who, who we are as people, what we believe God has made us to, pe- to be, and then how we want to function as his people in the world. Um, and we're, we'll get into all that. But uh, this is my friend Dave. And uh, you guys, if you've been around since the summer, he, uh, he helped uh, to do some team teaching with Pete uh, at the end of August, right? And uh, so he's going to help me today uh, in teaching through uh, this last uh, message as part of our series. So um, we, if you remember last week, if you were around here uh, before, oh, before I do that, let me just mention, for the, the meeting afterwards, we're going to be talking about uh, our vision for our children and our ministry called Cultivate Kids that, that meets on Sunday mornings as well. That's going to happen downstairs uh, right after our time together. And we do have uh, child care for that as well that's going to happen in the seedlings room in the nursery. So um, if, you, if you have your kids back with you and you want to drop them off before coming downstairs, Head back down, drop them off, and then come down, and uh, we'd love to see you there. Um, and next week, I just want to mention this as well, next week is our Thanksgiving service or gathering where we really get together to celebrate and give thanks to God, not just for what he's done in our, uh, in our church kind of as an organization, but to give thanks for what God is doing in the lives of our people. And so we, we call it Thanksgiving through story and song. And so we spend a little bit more time singing and giving God thanks that way. And we also spend a lot of time listening to some stories of people who, and, and how God is working in their hearts and their lives. So it's always an incredible time together. I really encourage you to come out for that. So if you remember last week, we talked about life-growing environments, that the structure of our church isn't the church, but the structure and the way that we organize as a church hopefully gives life to our church. So it's not the tree itself. The tree, we believe, are the people who have been given a new identity because of Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we are family, that we are disciples, and that we are missionaries, and that's who God made us to be. But in order for us to grow in those three areas, we need the right environments to do it. And so what we talked about last week was that we have three primary environments in which we want to grow in this new life that God has given us. And we call those three environments our gathering, our going, and our growing. So you're at the gathering now. We've already mentioned that. Um, going is, is what we call our cultivate communities, and that's where we really go as the family of God, go as disciples, go as missionaries to, to live out the life that God has called us to it, as a family on mission, making disciples who can make disciples. And then we have a third environment that we're just starting to roll out and introduce in a wider way called DNA groups, where we want all of us to grow up in those three areas and to help one another and be committed to one another's discipleship. And so those three, think of them as small, medium, and large, kind of work together as, as a, a, a multitude of environments that help us grow up. And if you remember, I said the point of that is not for us just to be busy. The point of that is for us to have the right kind of environment to see all of us flourish. So, but here's the thing. <laughs> Thanks, Janet. <laughs> So that, that's the family being good family to me. Because if a bee came up on stage, Dave would be doing the rest of this alone. <laughs> that's not totally true, but it's close to the, close to the truth. Um, so we talked about gather, go, and grow, but there's another G that we need to talk about, and that's the G of give. That... We can't end this series on our foundations as a church without talking about how God has called us, is calling us to give our lives together for the sake of this thing that he's calling us to, called his mission. And so 
uh, if you remember Jesus, when he's talking about what it means to be in relationship to him, to him, this is what he says. It's really key. He says to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves, give themselves up, and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, whoever wants to use their life just for their own benefit, to, to bless themselves and just think about themselves, what's going to happen to them? They'll lose it in the end. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so what we're going to do today is we, we want to invite all of us to make a commitment to giving our lives again to Jesus. To, to being about His work in us. His work through us. His work for the sake of of His name and His glory for the good of other people. And, and you, may have, I mean, you may be in a, a place where you've given your life to Jesus in, in, in terms of some time in the past. And what we're calling you to do is maybe to just rethink what does it look like to, to re-follow Him, to give my life anew to His cause. You may be in a place where you've never given your life to Jesus. And I want to call you to maybe taking that first step of what it means to give your life to Him. But as we consider this, here's what we need to keep in mind. Because often we, 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 we compartmentalize our life and we think in terms of different categories. And we need, to, we need to hear this. To be committed to Jesus is to be committed to His body called the church. You can't separate Jesus from His body. He has a body. And over and over again throughout the New Testament, we're, we're told that His body is called the church, the, the, the gathering, the, the people of God, His family. And so it's, it's funny, it's like if you were to say, yeah, I like, I like Jay, but you know, I don't really like this particular part of his body, therefore I don't really want to be in relationship with him. <laughs> that would be ridiculous, right? Like he's got big feet or... Uh, his, I don't know, whatever the case might be. And you might go, well, I, I love Jay. I want to be part of Jay's life. I want, to, I want to be around Jay. I want to learn from him. But I don't really like you know, his body. Therefore, I'm going to try to separate the two. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? It, it doesn't work that way. We're, I, I'm a package deal with my body, right? <laughs> Everywhere I go, there I am also, right? And the same thing with you. And it's the same way with Jesus. You can't think about following Jesus if you don't think about all of who Jesus is. And Jesus is committed to His body. He's utterly, absolutely committed to His family which He gave His life up for. And so you can't think of like, oh yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't really love this thing called the church. Or I really don't want to be part of that group of people called the church because they're messed up and they're hypocrites. And I, I get all the reasons why people have a hard time with the church. And I think a lot of those reasons are that we aren't honest with our hypocrisy. We aren't good people. We have a good Savior who loves us despite of our weaknesses and brokenness. Right? And so we don't glorify ourselves and talk about how good we are as people. We glorify Jesus and say, in spite of all of our warts and failures and messed up ways, He still loves us and is committed to us. And so we, as a church, we want to do that. But as individuals, we need to know that Jesus is committed to His body. He, it, the, the church is also called His bride. And Jesus loves His bride and gives Himself up for her. It would be like if you, you said, I, I, I love Jay, but I'm going to... I'm going to t say all kinds of bad things about Jay's wife, Mandy. I would not be okay with that. Just so you know. <laughs> I know it's more, it's, right, it's more likely to happen the other way around. I get it. And hopefully she would defend me as well. But I'm, I'm going to go to bat for her because that's what I'm called to do as a husband. It lays down his life for his wife. And Jesus does that for his bride. And we are his bride. Which means we need to consider what it means to be part of His body, His bride, and to give our lives for her, for it. You can't do one without the other. Are you tracking with me? So what, we, what we've said is that for us, what it means to be committed to Jesus' family here as part of Cultivate is to, is to be committed to those environments. To want to grow in those areas so that we could grow up in our, our commitment to Jesus. To be committed to the gathering on Sundays. To be committed to going with other 
people in Cultivate Communities to make disciples and to be committed to growing ourselves so we would grow up in what that looks like. But here's the truth. Kind of get back to basics. You and I will never do this. We will never give our lives for Jesus' bride, His body, if we don't come to believe some things about our God first. See, we'll try to muster up the commitment. We'll try to do it ourselves. We'll try to be good people. We'll say yes and amen. I want to be about it. And we'll rely on our own strength and we'll forget who God is. And in doing so, we will become frustrated and burned out and ultimately fall away. We need to remember some things about God. Firstly, I think what we need to remember about God is that He's the owner of everything. He owns it all. It all belongs to Him. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Well, How much does that cover? Pretty much everything. But here's how I've often read that verse, and maybe you've read it this way too. I often, when I read that verse, I consider like, wow, God owns everything. Look at the oceans, look at the mountains, look at the seas, look at the creatures all around the world. Wow, God, you own all of that. But then I hoard my checkbook. And I'm selfish with my Saturday night. And I want to use the gifts that God has given me to build wealth for myself, but not to give those gifts away for the good of other people. I just want, I want to remind us, family, that God owns both the oceans and your checkbook. He owns both the mountains and your evenings. He owns you in every way, especially if you've come to know Jesus as your Savior. Paul says you've been bought with a price. You're no longer your own. A great price was paid to purchase you into God's family. Therefore, you don't belong to yourself. It's not that you give slices of your life to Jesus and then the rest belongs to you. It does not, family. It does not. Now, you might say, like, in light of that, wow, that sounds really stingy, that God would do that. Like, I don't like the fact that he, he owns everything. Well, here's the thing that you need to also know. God doesn't just own everything. He's generous with everything he owns. He's generous. And so, yes, God owns everything because he's the king of the universe, but he also is a generous king who gives everything away that he has. Matthew 7, verse 11 and 12 say it this way, If you then, this is Jesus, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? Does he love to give generously to those that are part of his family? So then he goes on and says, So in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Why are we able to do unto others as we would want them to do to us, even if they don't? I mean, think about that. Oftentimes we, we want to give to the people that are able to give back to us. And so we'll be generous with people that we think are going to be generous in return, but what about the people that aren't? What then? See, it's at that point that we need to believe that God is the one who is generous with us and has been and will continue to be. And so we can give our lives away to others knowing that our King will continue to give to us. That's the way that it works. Now, the the greatest evidence that we have of that is that God has already given us the most precious thing He could have possibly given us which is His own Son. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He also, how will he not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Do you see? Jesus is the down payment of the rest of God's wealth to you. He wants you to, be, to, to, to know that He's a gracious, loving, generous Father who gives good gifts to His kids. He wants you to be protected and provided for. That's the whole reason He sent His Son is to do that in an eternal way for you. It's already been purchased on your behalf. And if He was willing to to lay down the most costly down payment for your eternity before you even knew it was a need, won't He also along with Him give you what you need today? Not just for you, but for the sake of other people. I hope you're getting this. We're, we're not owners, but we're sons and daughters of our gracious Father who gives us good gifts for us to be stewards so that the world would know what He's like. That's why God is a generous giver. 
Ultimately, he knows. He wants the world to know. This is what I'm like. This is, this is what I've done for them. And the way that he, he carries forward that message of love and grace and truth into people's lives is through a people, a family that he brings in and says, I will make you my sons and daughters. Now be stewards of absolutely everything I've given you so that the world would know what I'm like. Just as you know what I'm like. And that's what God has done. So, so let's, I mean, just think of all the things that God has given to his children for us to steward over. What, what would fall under that category? family that God's given to us. Children. What's that? Health, yeah. Our friends and relationships. Our homes, yeah. Not places of refuge. Not just places to get away from the world, but places where Jesus would be glorified. And, and lift it up for the good of other people. Well, yeah, right, yeah. So different relationships that he's created with people, and you think, why am I in relationship with this person at work? Why do they seem to be gravitating towards me in, in friendship? Well, it's to steward that on behalf of our king. Maybe Jesus wants to do something through that relationship that we're not aware of yet. I mean, there, there's a lot of categories that we could think through. We're going to think through three general ones today. They're kind of the ones that we often tend to think of, but, but hopefully you hear them in a new way. It's kind of the big, the, the three T's, right? Time, talent, and treasure. You think of all that God has deposited into your life. It probably can come down to those three T's. So we're Dave's going to start out by talking about the T of time. Thank you, Jay. Well, as Jay has already pointed out, everything that God has given to us, he has given to us generously so that we could use what he's given to us to show off what he is like. And so the implication of that is that the way we use the resources that God has given us ultimately demonstrates and reflects what we believe about him. Jesus, God gave us all of our resources, and we should use those resources the same way that Jesus gave his. Because remember, we're not owners, we're stewards. So that means we should also give our time the way that Jesus gave his. But because of sin, obviously none of us do this perfectly, what are some of the ways, because of sin, that we ultimately use our time? A very specific example, but a good, yeah, a good one, right? Which is kind of risking, in a sense, what God has given us in order to give ourselves more. Yeah, we waste a lot of time, don't we? Why? So we think we consider ourselves owners of our time instead of stewards. We don't see God as the owner of our time. We're the owner of it, right? Right. So we sometimes feel like there isn't enough time for us. And isn't that really an unbelief that God hasn't given us enough? You know, we have a tendency to give God and the church our leftovers instead of our first fruits. But how did Jesus show us sonship and stewardship with his time? Well, first of all, you have to remember that Jesus was a very busy man. If you were to read the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark is the briefest of the four Gospels. You could actually sit down and read it, the entire book in a single setting. It would only take you maybe an hour and a half, two hours at the most. But by the time you got done, you'd be exhausted. You would be completely out of gas because Mark paints a vivid portrait of Jesus as a man of action. He clips from one scene to the next with the frequent use of the word immediately. And I know some translations will use, will kind of mix it up a little bit. They'll use words immediately, straightway, forthwith. But it's just nonstop action. Jesus was a very busy man. But here's the thing. He never got in a hurry. Despite his busy schedule, he even took time to pray with children. There was a time when he was teaching they brought some children to him. 
wanted him to lay his hands on them and pray with them. The disciples tried to rebuke him and send him away. Jesus could have concurred with him. You know, he could have pulled a W.C. Fields. Scram, kid, you bother me. But no, he, he rebuked the disciples instead. He said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He laid his hands on them. He took the time to pray with little children. There was another time when a synagogue ruler by the name of Jairus came to Jesus and told him that his daughter was sick and was at the point of death and wanted Jesus to come and heal her. On the way to Jairus' home, Jesus was passing through a crowd, and there was a woman in the crowd who'd had, who'd had a bleeding issue, had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she said, if I can just get close enough to touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. She touched the hem of his garment, and immediately she was healed. Now, Jesus perceived immediately that power had gone out of him. He could have just kept right on going because, after all, he was in a hurry to get to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' daughter. But no, he stopped and he said, who touched me? Of course, the disciples looked around like you're in a crowd of people. Who do you think touched you? Well, the woman, realizing she had been discovered, fell at Jesus' feet and told him what had happened. Now, Jesus, again, could have blown her off and kept going. After all, he had an urgent matter to tend to by getting to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. But no, even when Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house, he stopped and took the time to talk to this woman. He said, your faith has made you well. And of course, by the time he got to Jairus' house, Jairus' daughter had already died, but Jesus restored her to life and healed her. Now, that time, he was only a few minutes late, but there was another time, you might recall, he was four days late with Lazarus. His friend Lazarus was sick, and Jesus, it seemed like he just kind of drug his feet until Lazarus ended up dying, and then four days later, Jesus shows up for the funeral. Imagine being four days late for a funeral. I mean, by this time, the body has already started to decay, had started to stink, there was no question and no doubt that Lazarus was dead because Jesus had taken his time in getting there. But this, of course, was for the glory of God. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus came forth. Jesus said, unloose him, let him go. And this was so people would believe that he had been sent by the Father. Now, when you look at the way Jesus managed his time and his schedule, it might give you the impression that he was kind of lackadaisical with his time and that maybe he kind of left some things undone. But consider this. Jesus lived only 33 years on this earth. At mo 36 at most, depending on the chronology. But either way, it's not a particularly long period of time. And yet, despite his short lifespan, with a short lifespan and the fact that he had never gotten in a hurry, you might think that when he came to the end of his life and he prayed to the Father, he might have said, you know, 33 years just isn't long enough. I need, I need more time. And you know those 12 knuckleheads that I call disciples? They still don't get it. I need at least another year with them. No, that's not what Jesus said at all. When he prayed to the Father, he said what? He said, I have brought you glory on earth. And how did he do it? By finishing the work you gave me to do. Despite his relatively short lifespan and the fact that he never got in a hurry, Jesus finished the work that he was given to do. And to think he did all of this without a day planner, I'm sure he never read the seven habits of highly effective people. <laughs> he was the perfect model of time management. What would it look like if we were to follow his model? What, it would, what would it look like for us to begin using our time generously for the sake of Jesus' body? Well, First of all, like Jesus, we would probably be about our Father's business. 
You might recall when he was 12 years old and Mary and Joseph found him in, in the temple and they told him they'd been looking all over for him. What was his response? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? If we were to, if we were to give our time generously the way Jesus gave his, we would be about our father's business. We'd spend our days doing the works of him who sent us. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. So we would manage our time in such a way that we would be doing what we knew he wanted us to do. And we would also want to pursue the kind of life that Jonathan Edwards was determined to live. Jonathan Edwards was an 18th century theologian, one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. And in his resolutions, he wrote, resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Jonathan Edwards wanted to live his life in such a way that when it came time for him to die, he would have no regrets about the way he had lived his life. You know, there's an old saying, it's become sort of a cliche. But the thing about cliches, even though they're cliches, that doesn't necessarily mean they aren't true. And there's one that says, no one ever says on his deathbed, I wish I had spent more time at the office. When it comes time for you to die, how will you wish you had lived? Will you wish you had spent more time at the office? Or will you wish you had spent more time with your family? And not just your immediate or biological family, but the family of God. Will you wish you had spent more time worrying or more time trusting? However you will want to have lived your life when it comes time for you to die, that's how you should live your life. That's how you should give your time. That's how you should give your other resources that God has entrusted you with as well, including your talent, which Jay is going to talk, talk about next. So with all these, you're going to see a pattern where we really want to look to Jesus as our model and to, to give whatever he's given us as Jesus gave. And so that includes our talent, that we want to give our talent, the, our gifts, the abilities that God has given to us just as Jesus gave his. And you might think, well, that's easy for Jesus. He had a lot to give. And that's true. He was the most remarkable human who ever walked the face of the earth. He taught with God's authority and he healed the sick and raised the dead. And he was a tender shepherd who saw into people's hearts and was able to, to meet them where they were. He was a, a prophet who spoke about God in a way that, that people were drawn to. He was a king that he was setting up a new kingdom on earth. And yet what Jesus modeled with his life was that he used all these things not for his own good. He wasn't a spectacular person just for the sake of being spectacular. He used all that God entrusted to him to empty himself for the good of other people. In fact, Mark 10.45 says it this way, For even the Son of Man came, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came as a servant. And so as remarkable as he was... He used what he had been given for the good of other people. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand. You might think, well, that's great for Jesus. Yay for Jesus. He had all these gifts and he did it well. Now go be like Jesus. No, that's not the way that it works. Go and try and see how it goes for you. Come back and tell me how it went this week. Now, it's impossible. But here's the thing that we need to know. Jesus didn't just give us an example to follow. He gave us a life to empower us for the example that he gave us. He gave us the Spirit and promised that he's going to send the ability into us so that our lives increasingly look like the life that he lived. Uh, I, I like the, the analogy, I often think of it this way, that if you think of Jesus as the most perfect house that had ever been built for God to dwell in, you know, so if, if, if God were going to dwell anywhere, and, and there used to be a temple where God would dwell, and people would come from miles and miles around to come and just behold the temple and go, man, look at that building. Isn't it incredible? And Jesus said, actually, I'm the new temple. 
I'm, I'm the place where God dwells by His Spirit. And we, we should look on Jesus and go, wow, that's the most spectacular building that's ever been built. But here's the thing that happened when Jesus died. His body was broken. And through the Spirit, it's like all of the pieces of, that made up the building of who Jesus was, they get scattered throughout the entire world. And they come to you and I through the form of His Holy Spirit that comes in and dwells within us. And it's no accident that Peter... One of Jesus' followers comes along and says, guess what the house of God is like? It's like a building being built. And Jesus is the cornerstone. And we all are, are like smaller stones that God is uniting and wedding together for the sake of the, the world looking in on the church, looking in on God's people, not, not just a building, but the people, and going, wow, that's what God is like. Look at the way that they use their gifts for the good of other people. 1 Peter 4.10 and 11 say it this way, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to do what? To serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should speak as one who speaks the very words of God. So this morning, if you're, even if you're hearing things that sound like God, it's not because we're saying it well or we're really eloquent or, or capable people. It's because the Spirit of God is speaking His words to your heart in this moment. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. Don't try to do it on your own. Look to Him for the strength. So that in all things, guess who gets to be praised? The one who gave you the gift. God would be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and power forever and ever. And what this tells us is that everyone who receives Jesus receives not just the forgiving grace of Jesus, but the empowering grace of Jesus to, to be a source of good and hope and help for the rest of the body. And hopefully, if you're tracking with me, what that means to you is that if you're part of Jesus' family, Jesus has done that. For you, to you, and ultimately wants to do it through you for others. Family, I just I want you to hear this. There are no like, it's not that Jesus gives good gifts to 20% of his family. He doesn't just give it to the leaders or the really talented folks or the ones that have all the experience or the really well educated. He gives gifts to everyone in his family. Everyone who's received the Spirit of Jesus gets Jesus' power to do what only Jesus can do through you in only the way that Jesus can do it through you. And so that means, that, I don't know if you, you thought about this, of like just thinking, man, other people are so talented and so, you know, I mean, look at the way that other people give their gifts. That's, what's that saying is, God, I don't believe that you've given me gifts and that they're unique. The truth is He has. And He wants you to use those gifts. So here's, here's the way that it works. As we give our gifts, the rest of the family is built up. And that means if you take away any gifts that God has given to the family, who suffers? The family does. We all suffer if all of us don't give the gifts that God has given into us specifically to give. And that's not just the, the speaker's it's not just those that are leading Cultivate Communities or the worship team or any of the, the things that are, even, are more visible. That's everything that God gives. So here's the thing. When it comes to those gifts, what's the role of, of those who lead the family? Have you ever thought about it this way? Sometimes we tend to, to think that it's the leaders that are really talented and they give their gifts and those gifts are are just to be received by the rest of the church family. That's not the way that it works. The way that it works is actually what Paul records in Ephesians 4, 11-13. He says, So Christ Himself gave... These are the leaders of the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And what are the, what's the role of the leaders? What are the role of those people? It's to equip His people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Are you getting it? My job as a leader in our family is to equip you so that you would be able to walk out the service that God calls you to. That's the role of our leadership here. Um, 
And so we have to be committed to the development of our people. That's one of the reasons why we shared our structure the way that we did. is because as a family in 2016, we want to be even more committed to the development of all people. Just so you know, uh, when we get to 2016, one of the things that I, I'm, that I believe that the Spirit is calling me specifically to is to be more of an equipper, which means I'm going to have to free up more of my time to equip other people for the works of service that God has called him to. It's one of the reasons why Dave is on the stage with me today. It's one of the reasons why you're going to get to see other people preaching as part of our family life together. It's because God is going to use the multitude of voices to help build all of us up in the way that God has called each of them to do. And so that means as a leader, I'm going to have to step aside so that other people can do the work. It also means I'm going to be committed to coaching and investing in our Cultivate community leaders and our DNA group leaders to help them to be equipped for what God has called them to do. And so you may see me up here less next year, just so you know. But it's for the good of our family because of what I believe God is calling us to together. Now we can't talk about giving if we don't talk about the last T, which is our treasure. And I'm going to let my good friend Dave... <laughs> talk about how we give our treasure as Jesus gave his. <laughs> no, seriously. Jesus said, wherever your, heart, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So the way that we spend or use our treasure ultimately says a lot about our heart. And you need to keep in mind that your treasure is not just the money that's in your pocket or in your bank account, but it could also be things like your home, your automobile, any other kind of tangible asset. Those are our treasures that God has entrusted to us. But again, because of sin, we don't always use them the way God intends for us to use them. We probably, some of us probably feel like there's never enough for us. And again, that's an unbelief that God hasn't given us enough. We try to be owners of our treasure instead of stewards. And again, we give God the, and the church the leftovers instead of the first fruits. Is this starting to sound like a broken record? It's because a lot of times we manage our treasure the same way that we manage our time. But how did Jesus, as a son and a steward, how did he demonstrate his sonship and stewardship with his treasure? We don't really see a lot of passages in the, in the scriptures, I don't know of any passages, where we see where Jesus actually gave money to anyone. But look at, look at it this way. Jesus was the king of glory who shared everything with the Father. He had, with the Father, he, he talked of having a glory with the Father even before the world, before the world began, and yet he gave it all up. Paul said in Philippians that he came to earth in the form of a servant. Now, when he came to earth, he was still no less God, but he, he gave up a lot of the privileges of being God. Look at it this way. None of us here got to choose who our parents were. Jesus was the only human being who ever lived who got to choose his parents. Now, what if you were the king of glory and you had that opportunity and that privilege of being able to choose which family you would be born into. What kind of a family would you choose? Well, most of us, if we had that choice, would probably choose a rather affluent family who could offer us some kind of a privileged upbringing. We might want a first-rate education. We might want social or political connections to help, help us advance in our careers. So we would probably choose a family who could give us those kind of advantages. Few, if any of us, would choose to be born into poverty. But yet Jesus chose, as his family, chose the family of a blue-collared carpenter living in an obscure little village named Nazareth in the northern province of Galilee. His parents, Mary and Joseph, were so poor that when Jesus was born, 
when it came time for Mary to go through the purification rite that was required in the law of Moses, the law of Moses required them to sacrifice a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. But if they couldn't afford a lamb, then they could offer two doves or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering, one is the sin offering. Mary and Joseph could not even afford the lamb. They had to offer the two young pigeons. There's no indication that Jesus ever acquired any wealth or tangible assets. He never owned a home or even a bed. When a lawyer came to him and told him that he would follow him wherever he went, Jesus said to him, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He had to depend on the hospitality and the charity of others. When he died, his family didn't even own a burial plot to bury him. He actually had to be buried in the borrowed tomb of a rich man. Why did he do all of this? Well, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, For you know by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus said in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Proverbs said the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Now I want to issue a word of caution here. This is not a promotion of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel, and the guys who peddle it are wolves in sheep's clothing. Nowhere did God ever say that if you give faithfully, he'll give you a lot of money or some other specific earthly blessing. But he does say that he will bless you in unspecified ways, and sometimes in ways that we don't even expect in this life, if you will love and trust him enough to be generous in your giving to him. So what would it look like if we were to begin using our treasury, our treasure, for the sake of Jesus' body? Well, here are some models for us to follow. There was a destitute widow that Jesus pointed out. In Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put more in than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This widow, she demonstrated faith in God's provision, which means we will give to the extent that we believe God will provide for us. Another model for us is the Macedonian churches. Again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. There were three characteristics in the, in the Macedonian church's giving. Paul says that the, it was out of their overflowing joy that they gave. So that means that they gave joyfully. He also mentioned their extreme poverty. That means they gave sacrificially. And he says that these things welled up in what? In rich generosity. So in addition to being joyful and sacrificial, they were also generous in their giving. A third example or a model for us to follow is that of George Mueller. George Mueller was an 18th century, I'm sorry, 19th century Prussian minister living in England. In the early 1830s, he embarked on an extraordinary journey of faith. 
He was disturbed by what he saw as faith, the faithlessness of the church in general. And he wanted to have something that he could point to as visible proof that our God and Father is the same faithful creator that he ever was. He declined to accept any regular salary, and praying in every penny of the cost, he supervised the building of five large orphanages housing thousands of children. Under no circumstances would anyone be asked for money or materials. The orphanages had no committees, no collectors, no voting, and no endowments, and yet he was more successful than anyone could have believed, and he is as much an example to our generation as he was to his own. Now, he did so. There were times of prosperity, but there were also plenty of times of leanness. Between September of 1841 and April of 1842, Mueller and his helpers lived through six months of severe testing when week after week, with only short periods of relief, the funds had been no more than sufficient. Again and again, money or supplies arrived with only minutes to spare before the children sat down to the table. Throughout this period, the children neither knew of the difficulties nor lacked good food, clothing, or warmth. Mueller cared for more than 10,000 orphans in his life. He was well known for providing an education under, to the children under his care to the point where he was actually accused of raising the poor above their natural station in life. The, the nerve of that guy. He also established 117 schools which offered Christian education to more than 120,000 children, many of them orphans. In his 63 years of ministry, George Mueller received nearly one and a half million pounds in donations. That translates into nearly $140 million in today's U.S. currency. And do you know how much of that money George Mueller kept for, for himself? When he died in 1898, at the age of 92, Mueller's life savings consisted only of the spare change in his pockets. Everything that was given to him, he gave back. Mueller was simply the conduit through which the donations flowed. Mueller stored up treasure for himself in heaven by investing in the orphanages and in the children who were under his care. What I love about all these examples is that they're, they run completely counterintuitive to the way that the world talks about resources, right? I mean, think, think about, the, this, this is the way that we often get, and, and many of us have bought this line of thinking, is that, well, yeah, it'd be easy to give if God gave in advance, Right? So I'll just give out of what God has already given, and therefore, you know, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll wait for the check to come in the mail, and then I'll give once I see the gift. You can only give out of the resources that you have, right? And, and with every single one of these examples, what happened first? The giving came first, and, and God's provision came after the giving. And you think, well, how does that work? It's because we give as an act of worship, not as an act of the resources. We give as an act of worship. And that, that applies to our, our resources, but it also applies to our talent, and it also applies to our time. God always calls us to believe in Him first, because here's the thing. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, and we've all got a second one that's knocking at the door. We all have that. That, that desire to take care of ourselves and do what we think is, is pragmatic first, which is us, in a sense, saying to God, I don't believe that you're a good provider. Jesus said it's a matter of the heart. And so we, we worship God with our heart first by creating the margin for him to operate in our lives, and then we watch as he provides for us and operates in our life. That's the way it always works. We operate out of our belief system not out of what God has already shown us. So here's the thing. Wherever you're at with this process, you may be at the very starting point and you say, well, all I have is, are the two nickels that I, you know, I'm rubbing together now. I don't have much to give. Well, 
What if God's calling you to be generous with that small amount so that he could show you that he's trustworthy? And that he's, as he proves his trustworthiness to you, he might increase your ability to do it over and over and over again. I remember when I was first coming into ministry, I had to raise my own support to be part of a, a campus ministry. And I needed $30,000 for the next year. And I'm like, I, don't, I, I know maybe two dozen Christians. Who in the world is going to give to this endeavor? <clears throat> and yet God was faithful to give that year so that I could see him do amazing things as I was provided for the ability to do it. And I, I've never forgotten that experience. That is, has changed the way that I understand about the resources that God has, has given us. And which has changed the way that I try to increase what God has given into my life. Now here's, here's the thing that you need to know. Um, as a church family, we're, create, we're, we're committed to creating margin to give as God has given to us. In fact, since we began, we've tried to increase that margin every single year to, to use towards giving away to things that don't immediately come back to bless us. Things like our, our food pantry, which we gave away 130 Thanksgiving dinners for. And, uh, and our, our, our Deep Roots Community Garden. And, and we give away $10,000 a year just as a starting point to the community in Haiti so that they would be... Uh, raised up and, and get to a point of financial sustainability. Um, so we, we're, we're, we're trying to do all these things. It, this coming uh, Christmas season, we're, we're going to match, I think, up to $3,500, right? Because we're, we're going to have a campaign where we wanna, want to give towards our family in Shadrach, Haiti. And, uh, and as a church, we're going to match a lot of those funds so that we can multiply the impact uh, to go there. I was talking to somebody, uh, one of my neighbors about uh, our community garden because we don't have a lot of sunny space in our, on our street to, uh, to grow things because there's a lot of trees. And I was telling him about our community garden and how much it costs per year. And he looked at me like, wait, what? Like, how do you get a spot the whole year that's watered, you know, and, and all I have to do is come and tend to it, and it basically costs me nothing. Well, the, way that you, the reason that you get to do that is because we have a generous church family that does that together. So you get to come and experience that. If you want a spot, come and talk to me in the spring and we'll, we'll set aside a spot for you. The reason that we're able to do all of that is because of the generosity of us growing together. And so we want to we be leaders in that, not, not just follow. But here's the other thing that I know. God has given us a, a generous church family. I get to brag about you guys all the time to other people. I really do. I, I, get to, I get to be part of a lot of circles with a lot of other church leaders, and I'm often getting people asking me, well, tell me about your church. And it's funny because I, I, I could go to like, well, here's what we do on Sunday mornings, or here's, here's what we have in terms of a structure for our community groups, or, or here's what we're trying to do through DNA groups. Or I, I could talk about a lot of the structural elements of our church, but I find myself over and over and over again being drawn to telling people about the people of our family and how God has blessed them to be a blessing to others. I mean, I think of stories over and over and over again of God's generosity through each of you to one another and to other people. And it's amazing, family. I just want to encourage you in that. You're all, we're not calling you to do anything that you're not already doing. You are a generous people. I mean, I think of the generosity of people's time and, and the fact that when we moved back in January, we had over 40 people come and help that day. We had people donating trucks so that we could get from one place to another in, in fewer trips. And, and we finished three hours early. And, and our neighbors, the first experience they got of our family was a horde of people carrying stuff in and out of a truck that we didn't rent ourselves. Hey, tell me about your church. They're a generous people. They gave up a whole day just to, to move us in. And I got to tell one neighbor about how we, we had people even that couldn't come in the morning, so they came in the afternoon and they unpacked all of our boxes and put everything in our kitchen away. And then they had to teach us where our cups and plates were. <laughs> It's awesome. Like, okay, so that's where that is. Good to know. It was so that we could focus on other things as a family. I, I think of, of families, you know, 
saying, because you have to work, we'll wash your clothes and bring them back to you so that that you don't have to worry about that because you have other things to worry about. We'll give you free babysitting so that you can work during the day because you need to do that for the sake of your family. And as a family, we're committed to you and we're going to provide for your needs. I think about the fact that over a quarter of us, family, have gone to Haiti. Over a quarter of the people that are part of our church have have used hard-earned time and money seeing it as Jesus' resource to go and bless people that you would never otherwise meet. We have dozens of families that sponsor kids in that same community and say, I want to go there so I can meet my sponsor child and encourage him to go to school and to continue at it because God loves them and is faithful to them. There's so much, I mean, I could spend the next 20 minutes just pointing to things. The fact that you've been generous with your, your finances with one another. I'm so proud of you. I really am. We have a lot to celebrate. And so as we think about giving ourselves for the sake of Jesus, I, I'm, I hope I'm not calling you to anything that your hearts are already in. Because you love Him and you love one another. And I've seen it happen, family. And I want to see it continue. And so maybe in this next season, it's just saying... How, how do, what, what are you calling me to do this next season, Holy Spirit? God has given you the Spirit to be able to discern what God wants you to give. He doesn't want you to give in such a way that your needs won't be cared for. And He doesn't want you to give because you, you, you feel like you're obligated to or because it's some kind of bar or rule that we've set. No, we're, we believe that God is going to take care of us as a church family. He's proven that for the last five years. We're confident of that. We simply want all of our family to ask our king, based on the resources that you've given to me, what does it look like for me to be generous with what you've given? In my time, in the talents I've been given, and in my treasure. Jesus, what do you want for me? I just want to encourage you, if you're considering that, we're going to consider that together as a family, but if you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus first, then start there. Jesus does not want your money We don't want your money. We want you to to be people that are committed to Him as He's committed to you. And so give your life first to Him if you haven't done that yet. Secondly, as you're considering this, I I want to let you know where we're at as a family that God calls us to give and commit ourselves to supporting His local church. And so we need you to be generous to our family collectively so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do and to be generous. And so I know that you've probably seen the numbers in your uh, bulletin throughout the year in terms of where we're at with our giving, just so that you know tangibly where we stand today. We're about $1,750 or $17,500 behind what we budgeted to give for the year. Now, I, I want you to know this is what, that, that means a fully funded mission for us as a family. We're about $17,000 behind that. But uh, because we've kind of seen these numbers ourselves and we've been trying to, to be good stewards of the resources that God has given us, we've cut back about $10,000 in their spending for 2015. And I, I feel like as a family, we've cut just about everywhere we could possibly cut with some of the expenditures that we have to give out because of the building and, and other things, which means if you do the, the math correctly, we're $7,128 behind what we've spent in 2015. And so I would ask you, as a family, would you consider what God is calling you to give to make up for that gap so that we're not behind in terms of where our giving is and matching our spending? I don't think that I'm asking for a lot. I think I'm, I'm just I'm asking you to, to say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want me to give in this season for this time? Again, I'll say this, that we, we are confident that God is going to continue to bless us and to use us. And so we're not a- asking out of a place of like fear or, or, or worry. We're just simply asking out of a place of generosity. God has given us generously. Let's give for one another. So we're going to close. Pete's going to lead us in our response time, but we're going to do things a little bit differently, so make sure you pay attention, okay? It's going to be really important. Father, thank you that you have called us to be generous, not, 
not in isolation from you, but in a belief that you've been generous to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you were generous with your time. You gave us 33 years of your life. When it, you could have given it for anything else, and you choose to give it to us so that we could be brought into your family. Thank you that you are generous with your gifts so that now that we can bless others around us. Thank you that you are generous with your resources. Though you were rich, you became poor so that in your poverty we might become rich. Please help us to consider what it looks like to be givers, generous givers in light of what you've done for us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.